Welcome to episode eight of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast. I'm Brian Egan from the class of 86. On November 5th, 2021, a football rivalry renews. Perhaps the greatest Catholic high school rivalry in America. For the 100th time, Gonzaga will play St. John's on the gridiron, this time under the lights of the recently upgraded Buchanan Field. Go Gonzaga, beat St. John's. A phrase that carries a heavy weight for all who have ever walked the halls of I Street. For decades, students have used their creative prowess and their purple pride to show school spirit. White banners with purple spray paint were common sightings off overpasses, bridges, exhorting the eagles to fly high. In 1957, some intrepid students helped raise Gonzaga's profile in the PR battle against the Johnnies by hanging a Beat St. John's banner out of, at the time, open windows of the Washington Monument. Can't get away with that these days. A few years later, even the Russian embassy was infiltrated. In the fall of 1960, a group of students made the trip to the old location on 16th Street, and while two students distracted the receptionist with questions about Russian composers, other students hung a banner over the upstairs balcony of the Russian embassy stating, Khrushchev says, beat St. John's. A tipped-off and advanced photographer ensured the resulting picture made its way into the papers. Now, for members of the class of 67 who arrived on I Street in 1963, these very recent public displays of Gonzaga pride were part of the lore of Gonzaga versus St. John's. Time to welcome Will Morris and Jim Nelson from the class of 67. Will, what was it like as you arrived? You remember the big deal with the Washington Monument, right? The 57 uh, hang of the banner from the monument, I think, was pretty cool. I think got our got everybody's attention. Jimmy and I have a, a family history of, of Gonzaga. I have two older brothers who went to Gonzaga, two younger brothers who went there. Jimmy's got two sons that went there. You know, we already had a feeling for the rivalries within the Catholic League. I mean, you know, when you're a freshman, you're just, we were aware of it. And as I remember, Will, the football team when we were freshmen was decent. Uh, John Himmelberg was a quarterback. And so I think we came in with a lot of enthusiasm, you know, in the fall of 1963. Jimmy and I have been, were in the same homeroom for four consecutive years, and we had Belvoir. And it was, we hadn't been there for, you know, more than 48 hours. And Belvoir started talking about the 1957 hanging of the banner from the, from the Washington Monument. And he was like irate that they just, that the banner just said, beat St. John's. And he says, if you're going to hang a banner, put Go Gonzaga, beat St. John's on it. So everybody know who's doing the talking. So from that point on, we said, oh, you know, any future banners, you know, we're going to have Google Gonzaga written on it, as I recall. You know, another thing that happened that year, Will, I think some of the seniors, they saw down a sign at St. John's. Oh, yeah, that's right. And those guys got expelled. The one thing, too, they preached that whatever you do, don't destroy property. You can promote the school and all that. But when that incident happened, that was as we moved on through the school, that was the mantra. And so leading up to the prank at the Capitol, it was do something, but make it like you were invisible, like you were never there. So that's what led to that sign and the car antennas and all that other stuff, Brian. Jim, before we get into the background that led up to the success of November 18th, 1966, nearly 55 years ago, Let's give credit where credit is due. Who else helped you pull this off? Yeah, the main guys were me, Bill Whalen, Joe Fama, 
Charlie Risling, Andy Hamill, Pat McMahon, Timmy McGinn, and of course, Miriam McGinn. That would be Tim's mom. But she was not with us at the Capitol that day. <laughs> and the other thing I want to say just up front is we were all really good friends. If you weren't on the football team, like I was in the drama society and a couple of my uh, co-conspirators on, on hanging the Capitol, they were in the drama society. So we really, we were all involved in different activities, but we were all good friends. I mean, we celebrated together, we partied together, we suffered together, like in summer school, but we were all really good friends. <laughs> I'll add to that, you know, we went one and nine each of the previous two seasons, Brian, and it was not fun. I mean, I was a starting quarterback and, and, and uh, it, it <laughs> winning's important, you know, and, and it creates enthusiasm. And it creates confidence. No question. Well, you know, I was thinking about it. We got off to a great start. And I mean, the two things kind of fed each other. And we always used to play Wilson for our first game, right, Will? Yep. Wilson had some pretty good teams. Sometimes, I think maybe the prior two years, they might have beat us. But we got off to a great start. After a couple of years, as Will says, of our teams being not good at all, to have this good team begin to move into the Washington Post rankings, we, we really fed off that. That was one of the cool things about school our senior year. Jimmy was president of the Boosters Club, as well as being captain of the baseball team, I might add, and as well as being in the theater. You know, I can remember we were, we got 5-0. and oh, And I'm, I'm, all of us are going, you got it. Are you kidding me? You know, every Saturday night, we're, are you kidding me? And you know, we pick up the, the, the paper at, at midnight, the Washington Post and the Star at the time to see where our rankings were. And, you know, we were just soaring at that point. And, and I can remember driving down North Capitol Street to school one morning after we were 5-0 and and DeMathis the next game on Saturday. And here's this banner hanging from the clock tower. You know, go Eagles, soar to six. I went, damn, gone. That is awesome. It still sends chills down my spine. And it was Jimmy the one who was the one behind that, climbing up that daggone clock tower. Thank God a couple of the crew guys, the stage crew guys, weren't afraid of heights, you know. I'm the guy holding the ladder. I'm not <laughs> all the way up in the tower. <laughs> but now it, now you see a lot of pictures of, of guys up in that tower. And, but that was unheard of back then. You were yeah. talking about the broken, you know, the wooden stairs that were broken and the cobwebs. And nobody had been there since, you know, St. Aloysius went up there, you know, 1821. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim, let's talk about what took place on November 18th. It's not like you could just pull off a stunt like this without prior planning. No, it didn't just happen. I mean, other guys may remember things differently. Because we get together from time to time, and they go, Nelson, you're full of crap. That didn't happen, you know. <laughs> as but, best as you can recall, Jim. Okay, but here's the thing. We were busy as hell because we were doing skits every Friday. We had pep rallies. So it was, you know, like coming up to the DeMatha game, and then we beat them. I was a wonder we didn't flunk out because we're working <laughs> on doing the skits and all these other things. So we were like, okay, DeMath is done. Let's move on. You know, but the end game was always St. John's. So how far out were you working on this? My guess would be three weeks. Were there any other location options? It was always going to be the capital because 
how do you beat the monument or what comes close? Maybe we thought the Jefferson and Lincoln memorials were too insignificant. With the Capitol decided, were there reconnaissance missions? Some of us, I don't remember who, two weeks before we went down there, we found this stairway, found a door to get out on the west side. Now you, you try and get into the Capitol, you got to get, got to go past, you know, police barriers, you know, loaded machine guns. And back then all you had to do was walk through the front door. Again, we were planning to drop the sign, bring it back up, put it away and leave. So nobody would ever know we were there. So the destroy no property, leave no trace mantra had worked. Exactly. We've been lectured so much about don't destroy anything because you know how 17 year olds make decisions. So yeah, we went at least a couple of times to the Capitol. Okay, now walk us through the building of the banner, because you guys put a lot of thought into it. So I have to salute here Timmy McGinn's mother, Miriam McGinn. And we did it in one afternoon in front of Timmy McGinn's house. I guess we all, you know, purloined a sheet or two. McGinn said that there were 10 queen-sized white sheets, and she had a sewing machine. You know, we're just all there. We're not saying, hey, hurry up, Mrs. McGinn. You know, so yeah, Mrs. McGinn, one afternoon after school, I think one guy went through and outlined it in black, the Go Gonzaga, and then other guys were just going, filling in the Go Gonzaga. And it was on a paved, but not yet open road. It was concrete, so it was light colored. And it went through onto the street. Tim McGinn said that it stayed there for about 10 years. No (laughs) kidding. We had to have a sleeve between each sheet for putting the car antennas in. Car antennas used to be these things that would stand up off the, usually the right side or off the hood of the car somewhere. And they were retractable. You could slide them up and down. They go up as high as like four feet, and then you could retract them all the way down to about an inch. Keeping with our theme of don't destroy anything, we went to a junkyard. (laughs) No kidding. Yeah, we went to a junkyard and, you know, said, hey, we need a dozen car antennas, blah, blah. And Charlie Ryerson probably did that. And, you know, we got like a dozen for three bucks or something. Now, there was a true method to the madness with the car antennas. The idea, Brian, was that these sheets, when they were draped, okay, you didn't want the wind to flip the sheet over so you couldn't read the writing on the sheets. I might interject here because I I don't think we said this up front. I I was not a part of these guys because I was on the football team and I got the inside scoop from Jimmy. All these guys were good. We We were all really good friends. And since I was a, you know, the quarterback and the co-captain, they figured he's a leader of the team. We can we can trust Morris to keep his mouth shut. Yeah. In this clandestine operation. Well, you know, for four years I sat behind Will. It went Morris Nelson. So <laughs> we were like joined at the hip for four years. So Jim, you've gone to all this trouble to make sure everything's exactly right. You're taking into account the wind, the venue. Are you doing a dry run? Are you timing yourselves? It's not like we had a stopwatch on it, but we knew we wouldn't have much time. So we'd lay it out. We did practice hanging the sheets and stuff, get the aerials in, you know, and stuff, pull them out and all that kind of stuff. Now, to me, the truly remarkable part of this story is that there's a picture that captures it, a picture that was taken by a photographer from the Washington Post. I don't remember who, but somebody called the Washington Post and said something's going to happen on the west side of the Capitol today between three and four. Okay, so that and I don't I didn't make the call. It wouldn't surprise me if uh, an administrator (laughs) made the call. 
because we didn't know anybody at the post. Gonzaga d- did have a history in these types of pranks. Yeah. And what Jimmy says, the West Side, if you picture an inauguration and the president standing at the podium and the people walk out to the podium from behind him to take their seats in the grandstands, the temporary stands that they put up there for an inauguration, that door that they come out of, if you go straight up, you'll see a flagpole. And that's where that's where the banner was hung. Now, transporting the banner to the Capitol? We put the sheets in. Gym bags then were bigger. They, we didn't have bags. No, you had, you had briefcases. We had aerials and stuff, I think, in briefcases. But I think the, the sheet wouldn't fit in a briefcase. I, I could be wrong, Will, but it might have been we had briefcases in one big gym bag. Okay. Maybe you had to beat St. John, maybe you had to beat St. John's yeah. stuffed into a into a gym bag. Yeah, that is a significant thing. We stuffed in a little briefcase. <laughs> you know, we had coats and ties. Some guys had on suits. We could have looked like Capitol Pages or something, you know, just some sweet, innocent looking boys wearing neckties and coats. Isn't that <laughs> nice? Okay. So you've got the briefcases. You look like some Capitol Pages. You've got these gym bags as well. And you're walking into the Capitol. How fast is your heart beating, Jim? Well, to tell you the truth, I just thought it was great fun. It was probably a hunt, like beating like a hummingbird, but I just thought, damn, we're about to do this, you know? And we were determined, like, if you look at that picture, Pat McMahon had jumped over the railing because the sign got hung up, you know, when we dropped it. And, and so, the le- Jimmy, the, the, the railing was about, uh, about a six foot drop down to a ledge, correct? Yes. And something, maybe one of the antennas got caught or something. So, you know, we hadn't anticipated that. <laughs> so, McMahon, McMahon was absolutely fearless. Yeah. I remember you guys telling the story like, and then the next thing we know, we see McMahon climbing over, you know, the banister there and jumping down onto this narrow ledge and crawling over to get, make sure the banners are aligned properly. I said, yeah, we were going to do it. I mean, if we had had to jump and shimmy down that sheet and hold it straight at the bottom, we were going to do it. Honestly, I never remember being scared. I mean, that's epic. At what point, you know, the photograph has been taken. You guys are apparently unaware that there's also a Washington Post photographer somewhere. Well, we knew the photographer was going to be there, but I honestly don't remember seeing him or her. Because as you look at that picture, that Frenchman in the berets down there, and he's telling us, you know, how how to straighten it. Yeah, how to straighten it out. (laughs) I think I saw Bill Auth down there. He was the photographer. Right, he was. I don't even remember. I mean, I guess we were thinking also get the pictures and, you know, your adrenaline's pumping. I'm not thinking, oh, check, the Post reporter's here. Um, We're just hanging it. We had said, I think we're going to keep it over for like three to five minutes or something like that. And it seemed like, I will say that seemed like an eternity. We had it hung over there, longest three to five minutes of my life, looking back, because we did not want to get caught. I mean, that was part of the fun, was to do it. And these guys know we were never even there. So at what point did you guys get caught? Oh, we were on the way down the steps. We put the aerials away, folded everything up, and just walked down the steps like a bunch of Capitol pages. And I was a little towards the back, and all of a sudden there's this uh, kind of a halt to our progress down the steps. And they had us. They nabbed us. Were the authorities super aggressive? Were they very angry? They weren't screaming or yelling at us or anything like that. 
I said, okay, boys, come with us. I think they pretty quickly figured out or we fessed up where we were from. And Gonzaga, as you know, has a good reputation for producing fine young men. So uh, they didn't frisk us, you know, or anything like didn't pat us down. Um, my father, he was uh, an FBI agent and a lawyer at the Department of Justice. But he was of the persuasion, boys will be boys. My two brothers at Carroll were always in trouble with the cops. I used to say, if the cops don't bring me home, I'm not in trouble. So I knew I wasn't going to get it too bad at home. I don't know what the rest of the guys thought. They took us down to their office was this very large room. We were never in a cell or anything like that. They just had us like sitting around on chairs in the office and you know, a little bit like uh, you guys are going to get it kind of stuff, but never threatening or, you know, they weren't smiling at us or anything. But and then eventually Father Bradley probably showed up about 30 to 45 minutes later. Father Thomas Bradley, as opposed to another Bradley who taught at Gonzaga for many years. He just beckoned to us with his finger like, let's go. So we got up and left, you know, so we were we were in stir for about a half hour, 45 minutes is my memory. I think Bradley had convinced the, the Capitol Police of the uh, or reminded them of the strict disciplinary measures taken by the Jesuits. Oh, yeah. And assured them that if you guys were released to his uh, responsible hands, then justice would be served properly. There was no need to press it any further. Than yeah, that. And, and Bradley, he was really pretty strict yeah he was he was a good guy and and he was physically imposing you know he, he was about he was over six feet tall he had this barrel chest and red hair and he just looked like you didn't want to mess with him absolutely we didn't hear any of father bradley's discussions with the police is my memory so bill ott your photographer was caught and you didn't know about the post photographer so you thought man once ott got nabbed no evidence that this took place, correct? That's correct. McGinn told me that Bill Auth had to turn over 108 color pictures. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. To the Capitol Police's ransom to get you guys, as a bail to get you guys out. You know, a condition of our release. Yeah, I wasn't privy to it. So Father Thomas Bradley secures your release in exchange for justice under God and Ott's film. And then what happens? Do you guys do you guys go back to campus? I remember well walking back up the alleyway there, and all the guys from the football team are there, and they see Bradley leading as we're walking with our our faces down and everything. We had to practice away. This is well well before Buchanan Field was built, and so every practice was away. Every game was away back then. And we had gotten back from practice, and uh, you know the alleyway there between St. Al's and the uh, and the church. And here come you guys walking up, you know, your walk of shame there. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, and you said, uh, you know, I said, well, you know, what happened? What happened? He says, you know, we got caught. They took the film. Yeah. I just remember playing this day. But that was partly an act because we knew at least we got the sign. We didn't get caught on the way up. We got caught on the way down. But when we left, Bradley said, I don't want you talking to anybody about anything. And we also didn't know what discipline was facing us because these guys who had destroyed the St. John sign a few years earlier got expelled, but we hadn't destroyed anything. So, you know, I don't know how we're going to get punished, maybe suspended or something like that. But So, Jim, you, your co-conspirators all head home Thursday night. 
with no idea that there is a picture, it does exist, and, and, and you don't realize that until when? Until I woke up the next morning and saw it in the Post, I didn't know. Not only is the picture in the Washington Post, it's above the fold. Yeah, above yeah. the fold. So what's going through your head once you see it? My feet were touching the ground. When I went to school that morning, I felt like Julius Caesar returning to Rome after a big military victory. <laughs> what a perfect <laughs> Gonzaga analogy. We all felt that way. We were just floating. I, it was just the greatest, you know. It was, it was all so spontaneous, Brian, because, you, had, you know, just to reiterate, we were terrible the previous two seasons. It wasn't due to lack of effort, but Gonzaga has always had this spirit, and it continues to this day, as we all well know. And Jimmy and, and his booster club, they didn't start this, but it all comes down to the enthusiasm generated by winning. And there was these spontaneous pep rallies that were held. There's pictures of them from yearbooks and sure. places, you know, with the bass drum out there you know, at lunchtime. And, you know, there's a lot of schools who would say, ah, you got, you're interrupting class, you know, get out of here. Well, you know, a lot of times, you know, the teachers were out there with you sometimes. You know, this was a big time game. Gonzaga's always had the supporters we talked about, as did St. John's. St. John's had Tim Brandt was a quarterback who went on to start him at, on TV and uh, ABC and, and played at Maryland and uh, a lot of really good players. And we played that game in front of 14,000 people and it was on the radio. This was not just, ah, just another good game, you know, hope a few thousand people show up. I mean, yeah. this, this was a huge deal. Yeah. And it, was, it wasn't just amongst us. It was about the whole community and the Gonzaga family, really. And, you know, again, I'll go back to the fact that we were all friends. Like, I was in the drama club and Will's brother, Ned, who was two years older, he was too. So, you know, I'm not only friends with Will, I'm friends with his brother. One thing I've always thought about Gonzaga is you could be in any activity, you didn't have to be the quarterback of the football team, you know, to have friends. You could be in the drama club or other things. Like when we were sophomores, Will, you remember, we won the one-act play contest. Pierce mm. and Fisby and the wall and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so, again, there was a lot of camaraderie. So at this point in our story, you may be wondering two things. One, the football game. It ended up being a 6-6 tie. The other question that needs answering is... What kind of punishment came to those who were involved in the Capitol Banner caper? Well, you know, what happened is we got marched over to the jug room. We got guys like Will chirping in our ears. What happened? What happened? What's going on? <laughs> so it's, it's not just a procession of us five who got caught. There's like a bunch of hangers on going, what in the hell happened? <laughs> Everything. I was the second one to go into Bradley's office. I think the first one was Timmy McGinn. So we're all waiting out there and we hear this tremendous boom, you know, because Bradley had the paddle. They, I don't know, Brian, if they still had the paddle when you were No, there. they. I think they had done away with the paddle. It was called the Board of Education. In comes walking out, looking kind of shaken. And but I thought, I can put up with one swat of the paddle, you know, for this. And so I go in there and Bradley's in there, says, all right, Nelson, you're next. Assume the position, you know, and he hands me a phone book. <laughs> between my butt and the paddle. So it was all for show. I all love it. It was actually all for the auditory response so the people outside could hear it because hitting the book, it makes a hell of a noise. <laughs> 
So I assume. Well, you had to groan also and wail. Yeah, yeah you like, and he goes, you walk out of here like that really hurt. Yes, father, no, no problem. I always say to some of my friends, it's a little sad to know that you peaked when you were 18 years old. You know, <laughs> the thing you're most famous for is something you did as a senior in high school. Throughout the morning and the day of November 19, 1966, the Gonzaga High School community felt that awesome sense of pride that the prank at the Capitol was successful. The football game didn't quite work out as well, and Will, it was so close that season. And you never forget stuff like that. It just doesn't go away. Our fullback got hurt. We were playing. We were 6-0. We played Carroll, and Carroll Moss was their coach, and Carroll was not great that year. Usually they were like great, but they were just like very good. And they stopped us on their like one yard line with less than a minute left. And we lost 15 to 13. That was our only loss. And then against St. John's, it was six to six because they blocked our extra point. Otherwise, we would have been undefeated. Probably number would have won the Catholic League and probably would have been ranked number one in the whole area. And I still, to this day, you know, I'm 72. You don't forget these things. And it just kind of gnaws at you. And Will, even though we had some lean years for some stretches, I know you take great pride in what the program's done recently, especially with names like Kevin Hogan and Caleb Williams. It's just magnificent. Boy, what great quarterbacks. Man, God, (laughs) you know, uh, just sensational players that they've got. Kevin Hogan, I, I, I got to go back and coach him. Uh, when he was a sophomore, I just said, man, this guy, I don't want to coach him too much. You know, he's, I mean, he's, he's sensational. Now, as the rivalry renews on November 5th for the 100th meeting, right now the record is 48 wins for Gonzaga, 46 for St. John's, and five ties. It appears that St. John's is going to be a heavy favorite, but Will, Jim, we don't care. The message is still the same. Go Gonzaga. Beat St. John's. Will Morris and Jim Nelson from the class of 67. Thank you so much, guys. All right, Brian. Hey, thanks for doing this, Brian. I know this has taken a lot of your time, and I, I just can't tell you how great it is that you're doing it. Well, if you guys haven't figured it out by now, I'm having a blast putting these together. That puts a wrap on episode eight. Next week in episode nine, we talk about the time that the class of 71 turned the Washington Monument purple and white. As Larry Haney notes, it was an idea sparked by the late Mark Smith. When Mark came up with this idea that would allow the juniors to show up the seniors, we went for it. Larry Haney, Larry Vignoni, Dennis Orsborne, and Tom Donahoe from the Class of 71 are our guests for Episode 9 of the Echo Ever Proudly podcast as we get you ready for the St. John's game. Feedback, any suggestions, would love to hear from you. Podcast at Gonzaga.org. Subscribe follow, and be sure to share it with anyone who you know loves Gonzaga. Until next time, ad maiorium dei glorium, and hail Gonzaga! Martin.